The following audio is from Community Bible Church in Nashville, Tennessee. For more information about our church, please visit us online at cbcnashville.org. My God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cried by day, but you do not answer. But by night, but I find uh, no rest. You are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you, our fathers trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you, they cried and were rescued. In you, they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm, not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver, uh, let him, deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you I was cast from my birth. And from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near. And there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Basham, Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me, like r- ravaging and lowering, like a ravaging and lowering, uh, roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax; it is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a uh, potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death, for dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell you of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or bored the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to them. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows will be performed, those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. At the ends of the earth shall, and all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship before him. Before him shall bow and all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come to proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it.
You can have a seat. Father, as we come before your word this morning, and especially as we come before the account of our Savior's death, let's pray that you would help us to come ready to hear you speak. Help the great reality of what your son has done for us, what you have done for us through your son to sink in. I pray that as we consider a, a story that is well known to all of us, that in a sense you would help us to hear it for the first time. To glory in what you have done, to worship you, to obey you. Father, help me to, to speak only what you would have me to speak and forgive me for my many errors. Let's pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I ask you to turn to John chapter 19. Larry, thank you for reading a rather large section of scripture this morning. I knew I wanted the scripture reading to be from Psalm 22, and as we work through John 19 this morning, you'll understand why. And it was just one of those times where I couldn't just read, have uh, it be just a section. That was quite appropriate for us to read the entirety of the psalm. So let's look at John 19 together. I'm going to be reading from verse 17 through the end of the chapter. So they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Aramaic and Latin and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts. One part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, they divided my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, 
Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken, that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth that you also may believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on, whom, on him whom they have pierced. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Well, this is, this is the point of the story that we've been working through, working toward up over the last number of weeks. As Jesus was in the upper room with the disciples, teaching them, talking about leaving and the disciples couldn't quite understand, bringing them to this point. Then we saw, the, we saw Jesus and the disciples go to the garden where the other gospel accounts record Jesus praying that if at all possible, the, the Lord might take this cup from him. But he says those beautiful words, not my will, but your will be done. In John's account, Jesus boldly walks up to the um, small army of Gentile soldiers and Jewish authorities and surrenders himself. And we have seen that much through the trial and everything leading up to this point that Jesus has been in humble, willing, obedient submission to his father to carry out the purpose of redemption. Of the four gospel accounts, John is written last. 
And because of this, it seems like he, he omits certain details that Matthew, Mark, and Luke include in their gospel accounts. And some of that might just be because he knows those are familiar details. Others, because he's really trying to drive home a specific point. Some of the things that John leaves out, he leaves out Simon carrying the cross. This is Jesus likely carried a, the crossbeam through the city. And then, then as the other accounts say, Simon was coming in from the country at some point then before Jesus went outside of the city, the soldiers kind of uh, grabbed Simon and made Simon bear the cross the rest of the way. John doesn't include the uh, offer as Jesus is carrying the cross, the offer uh, to drink this wine mixed with myrrh that would kind of numb the pain that he is about to go through. Jesus, in the other accounts, rejects that, accepting to feel the full weight of all that was about to happen to him. John doesn't cover the conversation of the two thieves or the conversion of the one thief. John doesn't cover the earthquake and the tearing of the, temp of the uh, curtain that separated the, the most holy place from the holy place. John doesn't cover that. John doesn't cover the centurion who, upon Jesus' death, says truly this was the Son of God. However... As you, you hear those details, those very familiar details of the story of the crucifixion, you think, why does John omit those things? But John does give details that the other gospel writers don't. John is the only one to draw specific attention to the fulfillment of Scripture throughout the crucifixion account. He's the only one. John is the only one to record the words that are so familiar to us. It is finished. So why does John cover these things? Well, as he, as he gives his account of the crucifixion, he doesn't, he doesn't focus so much on the physical pain and anguish that Jesus goes through. He doesn't even focus on kind of the, the three hours of darkness where we would understand the wrath of God pouring out on his son. John's focus, as it has been throughout the trial, has been that even in this darkest of moments, God is fulfilling his purposes. God is fulfilling his purposes and Jesus, God's son, is willingly obeying him. Well, even though John doesn't cover many of the details of the, of the crucifixion, and, and quite frankly, the other gospel writers don't either because it was kind of, you said the word crucifixion, and people immediately knew what that was about. I think we probably are fairly familiar now if we've been in church for any length of time we can probably understand what a crucifixion looked look like and i want to just briefly explain it even though it's not the point of john's passage just to give us a bit of an idea of what christ went through for the crucifixion from last week after the trial we talked about the beatings the floggings that jesus received 
We talked about him receiving probably what was the lesser of the three Roman types of floggings. That, that one flogging that would have been quite painful with that leather whip with a piece of bone and metal tied into the strands. That, that was the flogging where Pilate put Jesus forward, hoping just to simply appease the Jewish authorities that he had received an adequate punishment and now could be released. But then as we harmonize the Gospels, we understand that Jesus received a, a second flogging before the crucifixion. This would have been the more intense, the, the most severe flogging that, Roman, that the Romans gave. This was a flogging generally reserved for those who have received a death sentence because it was a flogging that was so vicious and severe that many people would just die from the flogging itself. If you didn't die, you were crucified, and that flogging somewhat helped to kind of speed that process of death along on the cross. The, the, as you think of the, the cross, the, the cross beam itself that the hands would be nailed into, that is the part that the, the uh, criminal, or in this case, our sin, sinless savior, savior would have to hoist on their shoulder and carry to the hill. Upon reaching the hill, those who'd be crucified would be stretched out, having their hands nailed to the cross and their feet nailed to the cross. The only way to survive for any length of time on the cross would have been to push yourself up off of that nail to get enough room for your, you to be able to take in oxygen in your lungs. This is why, as we read the story, and we'll see in a moment, to speed the death up along further, the, the soldiers came along and broke the legs of those men being crucified. They, they literally took a, a large mallet and obliterated the legs of those being crucified so that they no longer had the ability to push themselves up and they would be starved of oxygen. But now as we turn our attention to the text in John 19... I want to look at a few different things that John draws our attention to. First, we'll see that Jesus is presented as a curse. Jesus is presented as king. Jesus is presented as the fulfillment of scripture. And finally, Jesus is presented as savior. In verses 17 through 18, John presents Jesus to us as a curse. says he was brought out of the city. Just to read it again. So they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull. There he was crucified. There they crucified him and with him two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. Hebrews 13 tells us, for the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp, so Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to, to sanctify the people through his own blood. As I've mentioned numerous times to 
the last several weeks. For those who truly did commit blasphemy, which as we looked at last week, Jesus did not because he truly was the son of God. But for those who committed blasphemy, their penalty was to be brought outside the city and stoned to death. Being brought outside the city is the sign of a curse, but it continues on from there. He was crucified. Galatians 3, Paul writes, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written in Deuteronomy, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. And finally, he was crucified with two others. In our scripture reading last week, we read Isaiah 53, where it's written, he was numbered with the transgressors. Our, our sinless savior, the spotless lamb of God was hauled out of the city as an accursed one, nailed to a cross and all who die on a tree are counted accursed. And he was numbered with people who actually deserved death. He was hung between two thieves. couple of things I think we need to understand as we consider this scene, as we think through the words of Psalm 22, as we, as we think of the scene of the crucifixion, we have to be able to see this and understand God absolutely hates sin. God doesn't wink at sin. God doesn't throw us a party when we celebrate our brokenness. God hates sin. He absolutely abhors sin. So much so that he was willing to send his son to suffer the penalty for our sin, for that sin in me, that sin for in you that he hates. He had to pour out his wrath, his holy justice and punishment upon our sin and Christ took that sin upon himself. We we can't we can't take the truth of the gospel in this scene and, and cry out as Paul says in Romans, "Oh, let's just sin all the more that grace might abound." That's why Paul replies, "May it never be." No. You can't look at this scene and celebrate your brokenness as is, I fear, is quite popular in much of the church today. The other thing, though, that we need to realize as we look at this scene is God loves us. God loves us. Again, if, if he wouldn't even spare his own son... He will give us all good things. He's given us the best of things. He sent his son in the likeness of sinful flesh to die on the cross to bear the punishment for our sin. So yes, it's true that God hates sin, but it's sweet to know that God loves us. This should bring us right back to John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have 
eternal life. Verse 19 through 22, as Pilate hangs the, the, the sign that would be the charges for the criminal. In this case, it's, it's a sign that isn't so much as a, a, of a charge for what Christ is, is uh, being crucified for, but just a statement. And yet the, the Jews do not like this. They want it to be more of a charge. They say, no, it should read that he said he was the king of the Jews. And Pilate, not a believer himself, just tells the Jews, yeah, I've written what I've written. So you have Pilate who mocked the Jews in his unbelief. You have the Jews who rejected their Messiah because of their unbelief. But that, you have that sign. That sign engraved by sinners, that sign rejected by sinners, and yet the sign was true. It says, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. John tells us it was written in Aramaic, Latin, and in Greek. And many people, that not only the Jews, but Gentiles as well, coming in and out of the city would have seen this sign and read, it, read its words. Again, in John 12, Jesus told his disciples, when I am lifted up from the earth, picturing the way he would die on the cross, I will draw all people to myself. Then we come to the main thrust of John's passage. What John brings out of, in the crucifixion scene that the other writers, other gospel writers don't, John really drills down and brings to light the fulfillment of Scripture. So we ask ourselves, why is this important to John's gospel account? Why is this important for the crucifixion account? Well, as I keep mentioning, I think I've mentioned it every week. I love, I, again, I love that John gives us a purpose statement in writing his gospel. In John 20, 31, he says, These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John's writing this to convince, especially those, those, Jew, those Jewish hearers, that the Messiah that God promised through his scripture, although they had a completely backwards view of what the Messiah would look like and exactly what he would come to accomplish, John is saying, no, look back at the scriptures that God has given to you. Look back at the word of God and you will see that this, the Messiah that you required fulfilled all scripture, that this Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, the Christ, that he suffered and died exactly how God appointed him to suffer and die. God's purposes were accomplished, as Peter says in to many of these same people at the, on the day of Pentecost. 
that Jesus was delivered up by the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Let's walk through these passages that John draws our attention to and, and some that you might just be able to draw some conclusions from. But this is why for our scripture reading, we read Psalm 22. Psalm 22, written by David at a, at a very difficult time in his life, but clearly prophetic, clearly looking forward to the Messiah, looking forward to Christ and the fulfillment of Scripture. And the first one that John draws our attention to is the scene of the soldiers. The, those being crucified would be stripped, and the soldiers would divide the garment and the, their, prize, their prizes from the work that they did. And they come to this garment that is Christ, that is, has no seam in it, and Psalm 22, 18 reads, they divided my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. Jesus had been stripped of all his clothing. I think most commentators agree on this, that the pictures we have of Christ on the cross with his undergarments on probably aren't accurate. Jesus was naked on the cross. Now, it wasn't that in the Roman culture, nakedness was a big thing. If you think back to the ancient times and the Olympics, you, you read and you understand even the athletes generally participated in the Olympics completely naked. But for the, for the Hebrews, this would have been a horribly shameful event to be held up high, nailed on a cross, completely naked for all to see. Look with me. A few chapters back, John 13. There's a few things that we can think of as Christ stripping himself down of, of bearing our shame John 13, the scene of Jesus washing the disciples' feet, and it's, it foreshadows the crucifixion in many ways. Beginning with verse 1, it says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a the towel that was wrapped around him. As we looked at that past passage, we understood the great, the great shame of that event, how the servants of the household, they're the ones to wash something as grimy as the feet, not the teacher, not the rabbi, not, not the, the master, not the Lord. And yet he, knowing he came from God and was going back to God, as John opens up his gospel, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He 
stripped himself of his outer garments, wrapped a towel around himself, and got down to wash his disciples' feet. This is, this is the picture of Philippians 2, of, of Christ laying aside the rights and privileges of being God so that he could come in the, in the likeness of a slave to bear our penalty, to obey to the point of death. Yes, even death on a cross. And now Jesus hangs on the tree, bearing our shame. He was stripped naked and he was humiliated so that we might be clothed in his righteousness. This Second Corinthians 5 says, You have this little scene then of, of Jesus speaking to his mother and his disciple whom he loved, which we would understand to be John. And first off, I think just the reference here would probably be back to Exodus 20, the commandment to honor your father and your mother. But imagine dying on the cross, going through all that he had gone through, and you have this conversation where he makes sure that his mother is taken care of. Woman, behold your son. And turning to John, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Then from Psalm 69, which reads, For my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. This is... This is a psalm about persecution that one receives from their enemies and waiting on God for his salvation. And even though, as I said already, John doesn't focus on the, those hours of darkness where we would understand God's wrath pouring out on the sun, it, there is an interesting parallel possibly here where as we think back to Jesus' parable of the rich man and Lazarus, and the rich man, remember, is proud and arrogant and rejects even caring for Lazarus. But when they both die, Lazarus is safe in Abraham's bosom and the rich man is in Sheol in the grave in, in Hades and he's burning and his one request is, Father Abraham, please allow Lazarus just to dip his finger in some cool water and bring it to me. I believe you have a bit of a picture here of the wrath of God, of, of what Jesus tasted for us. That is, that is what hell is. Hell is eternity under the, the wrath of the Lamb, as Revelation says. Jesus was able to endure an eternity of God's punishment for our sins in those few hours on the cross and when he comes to from it knowing it says that all was now finished he said to fulfill scripture I thirst and I don't, I don't think it's simply some 
Some commentators have painted this out to be Jesus kind of thinking through all of the scriptures and making sure that everyone has checked off. Like, okay, Psalm 69, I need to thirst. I don't think it's necessarily that. But in the same way that as the soldiers did what they did, completely ignorant of what scripture had to say, and yet they did it, Jesus hanging on the cross having suffered the wrath of his father, now says, I thirst. And they give him sour wine to drink. Jesus, of course, was not ignorant of scripture, but all that he did, all that he did was a fulfillment of what the father gave him to do. Then, again, you have these words that only John gives us. Only John records. The other gospel writers say that Jesus cried out with a loud cry and and gave up his spirit. John says in verse 30, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. This is, again, I think a reference back to Psalm 22. Psalm 22 begins with the cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is the cry that the other gospel writers include. But then John, I think in, in including the words, it is finished, echoes those final words of Psalm 22. He has done it. He has done it. As Jesus hung on the cross, this is just a side note, regarding that cry of dereliction, that cry of abandonment, as Jesus hung on the cross, we have to understand, considering all that John has told us and all that we know from Scripture, In his humanity, he's suffering and feel this abandonment as his father is pouring out his wrath. But he wasn't, he was still God. There was no separation in the Godhead at this point. As Jesus hung on the cross, as one one theologian has said, as Jesus was hanging on the cross, he was still the God who was holding all of the universe together by the power of his word. As Jesus was on the cross, the very essence of the nails and the the splinters of the wood he was holding together. Jesus never stopped being God. You can't have God at any moment stop being God. But he felt that abandonment in his humanity. He did suffer. He fulfilled all that he was meant to fulfill and that's why at the end he could say, It is finished. He paid the debt of our sin required by God's holiness and his justice. He completely satisfied God's holy wrath against our sin. Completely. Paid in full. There's no no leftover amount that you have to then bear. This is why we are so welcomed into God's presence, his welcomed into his throne of grace, able to come before it with confidence. And it is a throne of grace 
because we know that Jesus has paid it all. As I often say, Jesus didn't bring us up to the, to the finish line and say, okay, you do the rest. You can do it. No, Jesus paid it all. When he said it is finished, he was not lying. Now we know the importance of the resurrection and the ascension, but that was a guaranteed thing because Jesus had done all that was required of him to do. So he could with full confidence declare it is finished so that we can come before God and confess our sins because he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And what is the proof? The proof of his faithfulness and, and his justness it's here on the cross. He did not even spare his own son. He redeemed us from the slave market of sin. He reconciled us to God. Justice and mercy met at the cross. As Romans, as Romans 3.26 says, that God might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. He was obedient to his last breath and only gave up his last breath when he knew that everything the Father had given him to do had been done. Jesus had said you don't have a, to Pilate, you don't have authority to take my life. I will lay down my own life. And knowing that all had been done, Jesus breathed his last reminds us of the high priestly prayer that we studied in John 17 where Christ says I glorified you on earth speaking to the father having accomplished the work that you gave me to do then even in his in the scene of the burial scripture continues to be fulfilled Psalm 34 reads he keeps all his bones and not one of them is broken this is a psalm about God's protection of his of his righteous ones God's protection of those who take refuge in him. It's also a picture of the Passover lamb that none of the bones, as we see in the, in the Passover instructions in Exodus and in Numbers, none of the bones of the Passover lamb were to be broken. And Jesus was our perfect Passover lamb. Then John draws our attention to Zechariah 12.10. Zechariah 12 reads, And I will pour out on the house of David... Actually, that's, yeah, I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. And a few verses later in Zechariah 13, he says, on that day, there shall be a fountain opened up for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. God's prophecy to Israel, promising him salvation in Zechariah, is coming true on the cross in the person and work of Christ. And that as that spear pierced through, not only confirming that Jesus was indeed dead, so they didn't break his legs. But blood and water comes out, almost this, this picture of God's atoning work and his purifying or his cleansing work for us. 
all that was pictured, especially as you think through Leviticus and the many sacrifices that had to take place, but also the, the cleansing rituals that were required, that atoning work and the cleansing work so that we could dwell in the presence of God was completed in his son. Revelation 1, remember that this is, Revelation is written also by John. He says this, from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. In his death, Jesus provided for us both our justification and our sanctification. That is something that we have to, as believers, as those in Christ, remember daily that not only has he secured for us our justification, that before God's eyes, it's as if we have not, haven't sinned and as if we have perfectly obeyed because we are clothed in Jesus' righteousness, but also our sanctification, our, our life in him, that we live in him in obedience as we struggle against sin and we, and we strive to obey him. Even that was purchased on the cross. He is the totality of our salvation. And quickly, to wrap up, we have this, this short story at the end of, of these men bearing or putting Jesus in the tomb. And this is as we, as what we see is Jesus as Savior. Because we see here John draw our attention to two, two men. And there's a description about these men that's important. First, Joseph of Arimathea, he's described as being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews. And then Nicodemus, who we met in chapter 3, who, as John reminds us here, came to Jesus by night. The point is he came secretly by night. He, he saw enough in Jesus to wonder, who is this man? He didn't want to be associated with him, so he went secretly by night and asked him these questions. Well, now these two men who follow Jesus, yet secretly, it is at this time of Jesus' greatest shame, this time of salvation that God has purchased for us as Jesus hangs naked on a cross. It's at that time that they step out into the light. The time where it would be most Horrible to be associated with Jesus because even his disciples thought, how could this possibly be the Messiah? This isn't how it's supposed to end. It's at that time that Joseph and Nicodemus step forward and they actually give Christ a burial fitting for a king with all these being laid in a new tomb and being wrapped with an extravagant amount of these spices. Charles Spurgeon 
wrote on this. It says, the shameful death of the cross had greater power over Joseph than all the beauty of Christ's life. They had seen all that Jesus had done. They had seen all the many signs that John records for us in his gospel. They had seen or heard about Lazarus being raised from the dead, all of these wonderful things, and yet it's at the cross that it seems to finally sink in. This is the one we've been waiting for. And I can and will, at the cost of being mocked, both of these men will very likely as we know about Joseph, for sure, part of the Sanhedrin, part of those Jewish authorities that sentenced Jesus to death. And, and we re, it's recorded in the other Gospels that Joseph did not stand with him in that decision. But here he steps out further into the light and they give Jesus a burial fitting for a king. And all of this is John's message that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is even what John says when they pierced his side. He, John pauses and says, he who saw it, that's him, has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth. Why? That you also may believe. John's whole thrust his whole heartbeat in writing this gospel is that they might believe and by extension that you and me might believe. This is why John will show us the story of Peter's denials and, and Jesus gently welcoming Peter back on the beach, the, the story of Thomas and, and his doubts, and then his exclamation when he sees the risen Savior with the, with the wounds of death upon him, my Lord and my God. This is what John wants us to do. So, so as we consider these things, as we think about this appeal through the crucifixion of our Savior to believe, I just want to ask a few questions for you to think through. Has the death of Christ truly gripped your heart? Has his death transformed your life? He died for our justification and our sanctification. Has his death, has his work transformed your life? Or is that something that only happens on Sundays and the rest of the week you bear no sign of association with him? Jesus gave everything, becoming a curse for us, although he is our king. He fulfilled all that his father had given him to do so that we might be called the children of God and even now he sits enthroned. Even now, this moment sits enthroned on high as our King of kings and Lord of lords, as our wonderful Savior. This is why Paul can write in Galatians 2, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That is the heartbeat of the Christian. 
that we can say Christ died for me. He lives for me and he lives in me. So I can look at my sin and hate my sin as much as God, as much as I possibly can, as much as God hates my sin. I can look at Christ and understand how much God loves me. And I can live for him. I can deny myself. I can deny all the worldly pleasures that the world wants to offer me, enticing me to come and and enjoy. I could put to death the deeds of my body, the sins that I wrestle with. I can be continually putting those things to death to live unto Christ because it's Christ who lives in me. Next week, Brennan will look at the resurrection And as we consider Christ alive, never to die again, it just brings it even more home to us that Christ lives for us. He lives in us. We are his and he is mine. I hope he is yours. As we come to the communion table this morning, this is a family meal. If you don't believe these things yet, if you don't believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, if, if you see the cross and don't understand that what he was doing there was so much more than just setting an example for you to follow, but he was actually dying in your place. He was dying for the sins that you've committed. He was fulfilling all obedience so that we could be justified before God. If you don't believe that, I would ask that you not partake in this supper because this is a family meal that's meant for those who confess the name of Jesus Christ. This is a meal that is meant for us as we partake of the elements. We are partaking of them knowing that at a spiritual level, we are partaking of our very Savior, that we are united to him, that we are sharing communion with him in taking these things and enjoying them as we take it with one another. Let the words ring out in your mind. It is finished. It is finished. Rest in that. Enjoy it. Celebrate it. That is our call as believers to stop the inner man who keeps trying to say, I'm good enough to keep trying to pull out that self-righteousness as some badge to hold up, to put all that to death and say, no, my life is hidden with Christ and he is my only hope, my only comfort in life and in death because of what he has done for me. Let's pray. Father, I just come before you in worship. Just considering what you have done for us through your son and considering John's gospel account and just seeing how wonderfully, beautifully and from the outside looking in, horrifically, Jesus fulfilled all that you gave him to do. I pray that you would help those truths to sink in, that we would worship you that we would understand that Jesus is indeed King of kings and Lord of lords. 
that we would be able to say with confidence, Jesus died for me. Jesus lives for me. Jesus is my king. He became a curse for me so that I might become his righteousness and stand before a holy God. We praise you that through this work of your son, you have brought us into your household, that you have made us a kingdom of priests, that you have called us your children, and we get to share in all the benefits of being your child. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio presentation from Community Bible Church. For more information, please visit us at 6005 Edmondson Pike in Nashville, Tennessee, or online at cbcnashville.org.